Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how we as educators can navigate issues around our program boundaries and handling student behavior and thinking about how we work with students when there are situations that involve uh, discipline and, you know, setting these boundaries and when do we make the call to either make a change or have someone end up possibly leaving a program. These are big issues that uh, sometimes, you know, in the in the scheme of things, we often hear like, oh, you know, this is so fun. Nature's so fun and perfect and it'll help you feel better. And, you know, all the all the good positive things about nature and all the good positive things about being outside, all of that is also, of course, true. But there is also the reality of that when we bring a lot of different students together, whether they're adults, whether they're teens, whether they're children or toddlers, Every one of them is a unique individual coming from a very unique family situation that has, you know, program or behavior norms in their, either in their school or family that may not be exactly the same for your program. So when they all get together, it can be tricky to say the least. Uh, that's, that's a nice way of saying that it's actually sometimes a lot of work to try to get everybody on the same page so that people can understand each other, work together, feel good, and build and grow in whatever you're doing for your program. And that's kind of a long way of just saying we're going to be talking about this stuff and we're going to have a great time. Hopefully, this will be something that's useful to you. That's the ultimate goal. So one of the things that I had as my first introduction to this was the experience. It was maybe two years or three years into my summer camp programming where I was a counselor leading a group at a farm camp, a farm and wilderness camp. And I saw that one of my fellow counselors, she and another person had this camper who was really struggling in their group. And this person needed a lot of support. They had a lot of emotional problems, you know, emotional regulation, like they would have outbursts. They would struggle. If they thought someone was looking at them wrong, they would go, you hate me or something like they would just have this very strong emotional reaction that set everybody on edge, including the staff. And I didn't see a lot of this, you know, because I was with my group most of the time, but I would see it when we would play group games. I would see it when we were in the dining hall. I would see them when we were lined up to go do some kind of a group activity. This person just really struggled. And that, you know, that person needed almost constant one-on-one reassurance and distraction and having a, a counselor present. And what happened, the camp was a, like, I think it was a month long. After about six or seven days of this happening, I kind of just went to myself, you know, and I was very young, so I didn't really know that much about what was going on. And I, I definitely wasn't a program director or anything. But I looked at that and I thought, this is this person really can't handle being here right now. This person is very, very stressed out. I don't know what they're going to do. And so I just kind of stepped back and I focused on my group and went, all right, 
let's go tan some deer hides or go tracking or build a shelter. And then I would circle back and, at, you know, at mealtimes, I'd be like, hey, let's look at all the cool stuff we've been doing. And I'd see my poor, poor fellow counselors just ragged, looking exhausted and, you know, having struggled, you know, for three hours or four hours in a morning block or going out and trying to play games or trying to do arts and crafts and just... I could just feel the pressure that they were under and they just, they really struggled. They, they would be sitting on the porch with this person and going, Hey, we're going to go call your parents. Cause they're saying oh, I'm sad or whatever. And this whole drama thing happened for weeks, like a very long time. The director was involved. The assistant director was involved. There were lots and lots of different types of interventions. I really don't want to go into, but what was interesting to me was that I saw at the end of the summer, at the when all the children were leaving, I saw that the the children in their group, in that particular student's group, they just they they wouldn't make eye contact with hardly anyone, and they were very uncomfortable, really you know very emotional, but not in a good way, and they just struggled. And anytime I did get to hang out with them, they were just so relieved when we would go play a game or something, and I would say, hey, you guys come and join my group for you know an hour, they would just look so relieved, like oh. We can, we can breathe. We can just have a normal moment, you know? And so camp ended, you know, we did a little debrief, talked about it and everything. And, you know, what I saw was that there were like three uh, counselors and staff members for this program who were really dedicated to helping this student make it. And they were just like, we're going to make it. And, you know, uh, you're going to talk to your parents tonight. And, you know, you're not that homesick. You can get through this and you're going to be able to do it. Like they really were 100% attached to helping this person get through the program. And at the end of that, I went, wow, that looked really painful. And I, and then I kind of forgot about it because I was young. I was like, you know, whatever, 22. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, I guess I'll go swimming over at Bashbish Falls. And, you know, I just wanted to go do other things. So I just, it just kind of slipped my mind. The following year, I remember talking to the director, you know, maybe sometime in the, in the mid, mid spring. And I said, oh, I'm looking forward to working this summer. I uh, hope it's great. And I said, do you, do you have any campers for my group? And she's like, oh yeah, everybody's coming back. They're super excited. Your, your group is fully packed. And I said, oh, that's good to hear. I said, how's everything going? She goes, well, almost none of the kids in that other group are coming back. So right now we have this big hole, you know, we have to fill like 15 kids and I'm not sure if we're going to even be able to run that. And so now I might have to let some of the staff go. And she was just kind of stressed about that as camp counselors, our directors can be. And I fully get that. And I just remember thinking at that moment, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that camper did make it through. But at what cost? Now, the experience of being at that camp for those other children was definitely heavily impacted. And, and so that was like my first dive into, you know, what what do we do in those situations? Because they're they're tricky. They're tricky to navigate. And they're especially tricky depending on where you are in the lineup. Like if you're the assistant director or the, you know, a head counselor or the program director, or if you're, uh, you know, a CIT or whatever role you're in, you're going to have your own perspective on how to weigh in on, you know, discipline and or communicating boundaries and navigating all that behavior stuff. So, you know, let's get into it. So one of the things that I'll just throw out at the beginning of this is to say that every program has an ideal client or student 
that the program is designed for. Uh, you know, and, and there's, let's just face it, there's a spectrum. So if you say, hey, this program is for, uh, you know, children from 10 to 13, you know, that, that sounds like a pretty good spectrum. And you're like, okay, that's good. Anybody who's 10 to 13, boom, they can come to this program. But, you know, when you dig a little bit deeper, there are children who are 10 years old or 13 or 12 who might have experienced incredible trauma, right? There are children who don't speak English and they are like, hey, we want to come to your camp and we, our, our child is from China and speaks no English. You know, I mean, these are things that I've literally had happen over my 35 years of running Hawk Circle at this summer camp, wilderness camp. Um, these are things that I've had experienced in many different ways in different situations exactly like this. So you have, you have students who just lost a parent. You have students who broke their leg recently and they just got the cast off two days before the camp and they went, hey, they're ready for camp. Everything's great. Like there's a spectrum that you can say, uh, you know, 10 to 13 but then there is a further division, of course, if you dial in on that. Our program is really designed for students that are basically in a position to really learn and get the benefit of what we're doing in the program. It's not, you know, for our summer camp, it was really about having an experience learning wilderness skills in a group of children to experience nature and be around a campfire and have a good time. It, it really wasn't a, you know, trauma therapy program. It wasn't a, you know, children of parents going through a divorce. It wasn't a children's grieving program. It wasn't a children who need to be, you know, who are, who are depressed or, or whatever. Uh, granted, many times you we wouldn't know about these things and students would show up and then begin, sh uh, you know, these things we would figure out within a day, two days, sometimes three days. And I learned the value <laughs> of screening. And the reason I'm mentioning all of this is to just say that your program, whatever you're doing, or whatever your program you're maybe designing or thinking of creating, you really want to think a lot about who is our ideal client that we, we want to work with, that we really want to serve and help. And then as much as you're trying to define who they are, you're also needing to define who isn't your ideal client and begin to screen or understand how do you separate how what are some of the ways that you're going to not just select or invite people to when they see your website or they see you know you giving a presentation how will they know that this program is appropriate for their children for their students you know and this goes all the way up to adults so uh, one of the mistakes i've made early on in my career was when I would say, hey, everyone, go for a hike or something. And then, and I'd have a group of adult students in a weekend workshop and I would realize, oh, there are a lot of adults who don't understand, you know, common sense boundaries or whatever. You know, we have to be really, really clear and careful in setting up our program to make sure that people are going to be able to excel in that and get all the benefits of what we're doing. So you, it's really important to know who is your ideal client, what is your program goal, and what is your setting. Now, if you're in a program that's like a two-hour program or presentation, most of the time, the program's not long enough for you to really experience that the whole range of human emotion uh, that you might have. Like if you're in a school program and there's 100 kids and you're doing a demonstration of a bow drill fire or something like that, probably you're not going to have to worry about discipline. If you're in an existing program already, like if you go to a school 
they already have a set of boundaries. They have other people supervising. So when you go in, you really don't have to generally micromanage the behavior parts. And if someone is having a tr problem or trouble, usually there are other students or, or teachers and aides who can then step in and go, hey, hey, why don't we come over here for a minute? Or let me help you out. Or let me take you to the library so you can do something else if this isn't really your, your thing. And if you're in that situation, then that's awesome. But if you're not, if you're deciding a, you know, to run a program and then you're you're working with students in a, you know, something that's more than just like a couple of hours or a day, then then this this type of topic really becomes front and center really important. So you want to think a lot about how do you orient your your students to this new experience? How do you let them know that regardless of what their experience is of what is okay or not okay, that you have the program's needs that are now something new? So it's kind of like if you, you know, if you if you walk in and out of your house all day long and you wear shoes and you, um, you know, you leave the door open sometimes because you're just going in and out or whatever. And then you go to someone else's house and they might go, hey, you got to take your shoes off. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't want to track dirt in the house. We want to, you know, keep it really clean. We got to close the door immediately for whatever reason. You just go, oh, OK, I'm in that person's home and that's how they do it. So you want to conform to their norms. You know, if they're sitting at a low table, having a Japanese meal and, you know, sitting down there, that's what you do for your, for your meal, as opposed to sitting at a countertop or at a fancy dining table, whatever it is, you just go with the flow. You figure out what is that norm. But when you're running the, a program, everyone will be looking to you or your staff or your program directors to set the tone for that program. And if you don't really set clear expectations for behavior, communication style, and the boundaries of the program, what's okay, what's not okay, then oftentimes what happens is that students will just do their thing thinking, hey, this is probably fine. And then you have to then turn around and play catch up and go, hey, it's not okay to do whatever you're doing. It's not okay to climb up onto the roof of the house and then be up there throwing water balloons on people, you know, as they walk by or something. You know, there, it's not okay to climb to the, you know, top of a 60-foot pine tree uh, just because, you know, no one was looking at, at you for five minutes and you just scurried up the tree, you know, like whatever it is, you know, what, whatever it is that that is set up, it's very important that you have those things laid out. The longer your program is, the more thorough your orientation really needs to be. I don't mean thorough doesn't mean like long. You don't need to be like, okay, orientation is going to take five days. That's not what I mean. But it, it's, you just have to be really, really specific because that way everybody knows this is what we're doing. And when I say that, that also includes your staff, your interns, your volunteers, your parents, everybody needs to kind of be on the same page. If you're not doing that, then again, playing catch up is always, always harder. I always like to say it's much easier to be very tight with your rules and boundaries and expectations for the first three days and then loosen up afterwards, you know, when you see that they are conform, that they're, they're getting it and they're in rhythm and they, they know the lanes that they can kind of move around in and have fun. And, you know, in those spaces, then you can kind of like go, all right, yeah, I can trust these, these kids to go do this, or I can trust these adults to do whatever. And you, you get a sense of, Hey, this is working and I don't have to like micromanage them. So 
that's something that, I mean, a lot of programs will already do this anyway, but I just want to say for anyone listening, sometimes people will come to me and say, hey, Rick, I'm having all these types of problems that are showing up. And then I can usually point to, hey, how is your orientation? Hey, how are your boundaries? And how are, how are you communicating that? And are you just kind of taking some things for granted? And then I also will point to a screening issue and say, hey, are you screening this? Is there Who's actually signing these people up for your program? And are you effectively screening them for physical, you know, appropriateness or, you know, whatever those needs are, uh, their maturity, their emotional state and et cetera, uh, dietary, everything. You just want to make sure you're screening that. So those things are really key. So when you get that going, it's really important to know that what you're doing when you're doing this is you're protecting your experience that you're providing for these students to come in and and have their experience in your program and you want it to be really positive not not that it has to be exclusively positive all the time of course but it's a an experience where you know it's guided and you it's held and when things happen you're there supporting that space and uh, facilitating something so that people can grow and and have a you know have something good come through your your program. And if you don't protect those spaces, then you run the risk of, you know, having a much more significant impact to your program, your reputation, and, you know, word of mouth or whatever. So really, really important to get this kind of fine-tuned. Uh, I found that this was a key factor for me about three years into doing my programs when I was doing them on my own because I kind of took a lot of things for granted. And then all of a sudden things would have, I would, I would struggle not so much with the children, but oftentimes with staff, I would kind of just assume that all the staff knew how to do and lead fire making activity or building a shelter. I assumed that they knew to carry the first aid kit or whatever. I mean, we did orientations and everything back then, but there were just little issues that I had to kind of like constantly catch up on. So it's it's not just for your staff uh, or for the students or your participants, but for your uh, helpers as well. Oftentimes when something would happen in a program, like children would be like, oh, we're going to go down and go swimming. And then all of a sudden I see, oh yeah, hey, oh, somebody got hurt. Oh, they what happened? Oh, they cut their foot. Why did they cut their foot? Oh, they decided to go barefoot and go running down the hill and they stepped on a piece of sharp slate and sliced open their heel. Oh, okay. Well, how did that happen? We always wear shoes. And then they're like, oh, oh, Jim came and Jim is a volunteer. And he said, I'll take the students down. And they all went, can we all go down? And he went, sure. And they just ran down the hill. So Jim didn't know to say, hey, everybody, make sure you have flip-flops or you know sandals or water shoes or something so that you protect your feet. So it's not Jim's fault. Ultimately, it will always come back to me because I'm the director. And guess what? Jim was just helping for three days and thought he was helping everyone. And now I've just lost two of my staff who are now at the ER for seven hours. Uh, and and we have now a camper hobbling around with the aid of crutches uh, trying to stay off their heel because they got, you know, two stitches or four stitches in it or whatever. Uh, those are, those are things that happen. Those are consequences that happen. And those aren't necessarily just, oh, kids get hurt. It's there, the, there is an actual risk assessment and tracking element to this that you really want to make sure that you are on the ball with so that you 
so that you don't end up also having trouble dealing with that staff shortage, you know. So there's a ripple effect that that will start to happen in your programs when these little things don't get uh, addressed early or pre-addressed, if you will. And so if you're a teacher or you're running a preschool program or whatever it is, uh, chances are you already are doing a lot of this already. You're all, you're like, oh yeah, Rick, you don't need to tell, tell me this. We've been doing this for 10 years or whatever. And I'm like, that's awesome. So uh, the more you work with students, the more you know, yeah, we have to have this nailed down uh, for sure. Uh, one thing that I'll also mention is, is this idea around what do you do? Like, okay, so, so in a program you're there and, you know, you sometimes will have a teenager who's just like thinks of something that pops in their head and blurts it out. And it's, it's maybe, you know, inappropriate, or it may be uh, they're using foul language, or maybe they're saying something that's, you know, making other people uncomfortable, whatever it might be. And, you kind of then go, hey, this is, hey, we're not actually doing that. You know, you kind of gently guide them to say, hey, is that okay? And then they do it again, and then they do it again. And then you're at that point, you're like, okay, are they consciously doing this? Are they actually trying to have a negative interaction with other people? And when do you make the call? What, how many chances do you give? What, what is the, that process? And in many cases, you'll have firsthand experience of doing this because you will, you know, we all will encounter people who are struggling, people who are uh, just dealing with whatever. And we will then be in that situation where in the moment, sometimes we will have a hammer, you know, we'll be like, okay, you broke the rules, boom, you're going home, end of story. And then other people, other days, whatever, you might be like, well, I kind of like this person. I, I really don't think they're doing it. You start talking yourself down and then you go, well, give them another chance. And then they go, well, they were a little better yesterday. Give them another chance. And all of a sudden it's been five days and nothing actually fundamentally has that really changed, but we've been, uh, whatever you want to call it, enabling this behavior to kind of continue throughout the program. So when do you make the call? You know, when do you make that call? And at the same time, how do you make that call? So I like to give people like kind of the, th not, I don't want to say three strikes or that sounds so, I don't know. I don't like, I mean, I like using sports references, but so the first thing I will say is I usually try to pull someone aside and go, Hey, just, you know, just so you know, Hey, that's really, we don't, we don't like to do that so much, whatever it is. Uh, if it's a behavior type thing or communication type thing, then we, we try to do a little bit of a self-correction, you know, see whether they can actually self-regulate based on really setting that boundary. If it's something that is anything to do with uh, camper staff or property damage or like any kind of destructive behavior or uh, any kind of violent behavior, that is a line that we, we, that's like a hard line. So if somebody's doing that, we're like, Hey, this is not, this is not the place. We are not a place that can handle that. My traf staff are not trained in restraints or any of that. So at that point, it's like, hey, let's go down. Let's talk to let's talk to your parents and let's sort of see what we can figure out with this because this is not going to fly in any capacity. And in a very rare situation, sometimes it works itself out, and other times the student just goes home. And we don't want students to go home because students who go home oftentimes feel like they failed, which fundamentally they did. They were going to try being in this program and then they they were not able to 
stay in it. So therefore they failed. And that's a big blow for someone who's 10 or 11 or 15 or whatever, because sometimes they have a, a, a history of failing in programs. So this is why part of the screening process is actually really helpful to them. You're actually protecting a student so that they don't have a failed experiment in your program, right? And it's really, uh, it's also just protecting your staff so that they don't have to spend time dealing with it and trying to figure it out and so forth. So um, just know that it's not, uh, it's not personal. It's not about like, oh, that person's a bad person or a bad kid who, who can't handle it or whatever. Oftentimes, it's really just a matter of saying this person at this particular moment is not really feeling safe enough to be able to be in this situation and they will do whatever they need to do to, do to get out of it. So they may feel unsafe. They may feel just a lot of anxiety. They may feel depression. They may feel a lot of things or and they may or may or may not be able to express that. And therefore, all we can do is look at what the behavior is and then, you know, communicate as best we can. And then I usually try to have, if it's not a, you know, a hard line thing, I give them a, a second chance that says, all right, how are you doing? Let's see how you do between now and dinner. Or let's see how you are between now and tomorrow. Whatever it is. And we very closely monitor, but we also give them space to see can they handle that. And then if they are starting to handle it uh, after a few hours or whatever, I just try to give a lot of good supporting, what do you want to call that, reinforcement or acknowledgement. I like to really say, hey, you know what? I saw you doing this. You had, you guys, you had a great uh, game that you guys were playing down the field. I, that was really good. I, I really appreciate it. How are you feeling? Do you just check in with them and just say, hey, this is awesome. You're on track. If you can kind of stay on track with this, then we should be good. Sometimes they they will have, you know, an outburst two days later. And at that point, you're like, okay, now do I give them a third chance or what, you know, or is it, did they blow it? And it is really up to your discretion as it's, sub, everything is subjective because it's it's hard to know, are they trying? Are they just getting good at hiding their behavior, <laughs> you know, from you? Like you, you don't see it, but other people do, or the camp, the students will say, hey, this person's still doing this stuff in other ways, you know, that you're not seeing. So it's it's really a judgment call to see, number one, is there, has there been progress? Is it better? And is does the person want to stay? Because sometimes they'll want to do it just because they want to get out of there and they really just want to go home. So this is a really important uh, aspect is to just say, I try to make that call much quicker than I used to, you know, 25 years ago or 30 years ago, because I, I just really want to say, hey, if I see something that is clearly a, a, you know, activity or outburst or whatever it is, I usually just say, hey, let's go sit down at the office, my office, let's call your parents. I want to check in with your parents, then you can talk with them, and then we can see whether this is going to work with you. This may not be the right camp for you. And I never take it personally. I know I kind of feel like I'm just sharing everything about my camp experience. So I'm sorry if, if I'm doing that. But I always know that if, if a student comes and then that program, it doesn't work for them to be in the program for whatever reason, I don't want them to feel like we're a failure or that they're a failure. I usually just say, hey, it's totally fine. You know, I'm all I'm doing is I want to make sure you're in a place where you feel safe, comfortable, and that you feel good and, you know, have something that works for you. And sometimes they'll turn around and go, oh, my God, I really don't want to go. I really want to stay here. 
I want to stay, you know, and they're sometimes they're afraid because it's going to be calling their parents. But I always talk to the parents always because I want them to know, hey, um, you know, Daniel struggled already, you know, even though it's only been, you know, 12 hours that your your son is struggling or your daughter's struggling. Um, just wanted to put that on your radar. This is what the behavior is I'm seeing. And then I usually try to get any other information I can. That's usually when someone will go, oh yeah, I took him off his meds because, you know, he had ADHD and, and anxiety. And I just figured that the woods are going to make everything better. And that Ricardo, you're such a nice person and you're going to mentor him. So he doesn't need his medication anymore. And that sadly, that has happened more times than I care to admit. And, and even with all the screening that we've done, and I usually <laughs> say to them, you know, you better overnight those meds as fast as possible. And we need to talk to a doctor or whatever, make sure that we get this straightened out. You know, but the idea here is that you'll find out something. You might find out that, oh yeah, by the way, right before he dropped him off at camp, we told him that we're all going to be moving or you know, oh, we told our daughter that we're getting divorced or something that you just like, oh, please, you thank you so much for not telling us before and letting us doing it right before our program, because now this is a really big deal. But I always want to stress that it's not personal to the student. If someone just isn't right at the moment, right? If, so, if you're at a movie theater and you suddenly realize you have food poisoning and you run to the bathroom and then you realize, oh, this is not going away in two seconds. You know, if you don't go back to the movie or in a play or whatever, no one in the play should go, oh, I feel so bad because I couldn't, I couldn't finish the play and I didn't get to, like, you wouldn't feel bad about that. You would just go, I need to go take care of this thing, which is really right now more important than taking in that movie or play or whatever the event is, because something else is more important. That's it. That's all it is. It's not a failure on the staff's part. It's not a failure on your part. I mean, you always will have when someone goes home, when they get in their car and they're driving down the driveway with all their gear, I always feel like, man, I, I wish there was some way we could really have supported them because, you know, we want them to have this nature experience and learn some new skills and have fun and whatever. But at the same time, there's 15 or 20 other students that are ready to have that snap out of it. Let's go. Let's get back on, tr on track and make sure that we're there and, and then take notes about this experience so we can learn from that for the future, for the, for the next experience. So that is kind of how I approach this. Um, I will, I will say that, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll kind of, uh, look into this and say is that, your biggest problem will oftentimes be that there will be one of your staff members or sometimes even students who will latch on to a someone who's struggling and they will try to save them. And I know that there was a number of times where I said, hey, this person's really struggling. Okay, I'm calling their parents. They're, I'm making the call. They're going home. And I had staff members who were just furious with me like oh i can't believe that you that you didn't give that person more time you didn't give this and i was like no i've seen this behavior before i know exactly what's going down i'm making the call you know that's my job as a director and sometimes people really want to rescue someone sometimes they just really feel like they either identify with that person or they just you know they really care about them and they want them to have that and so they kind of they they really can feel that that person's in pain or struggling and they really want to support them. And then when you suddenly go, hey, you're going home and you're going back to Boston or, you know, Rochester or wherever they're from, 
they kind of feel like, oh, you ripped away my opportunity to really bond and connect with this person who's struggling. And that's hard. When If that is, you, you know, you, if you've had that experience or if you are a you know, staff person who really feels that, just know that A, there's other children that you're not bonding with that you could be bonding with as well. So that's what I usually remind them about in a really supportive way. And I really try to help them know that they didn't do anything wrong and that they're welcome to, you know, send a, a letter to the family and just say, hey, I hope everything's going well. Um, you know, nowadays students can follow people on it, on social media or whatever. So that gets a little gray. Some, some pro programs have an absolutely no contact after the program experience. You'll be able to set that those boundaries as you see fit. You know, this is a navigation experience. This is not, you know, kind of a black and white situation, but there are black and white situations within it, right? The other element that I, that I really want to talk about this is in, in terms of, you know, discipline, boundaries and everything is that it's really important to feel inside yourself what, you know, what is it that you are trying to accomplish and, and just plan your program and be protective of that and, you know, really do whatever it is you're trying to do. And at the same time, I'm also going to say that one of the ways that that maybe doesn't always apply is that sometimes you're in a program where your goal is not going to be like our camp was a wilderness survival program. So we were like, oh, we're going to do this, 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 and this. That's in the description. We're going to, you know, make flint and steel fires. We're going to learn how to set up tarps. We're going to make grass mats. We're going to camp out. We're going to cook over a little rocket stove. I mean, all these things that we're going to do are part of what the experience is. And if you are committed to that, that's one way. If you have a program in which you are just being with the children out there and, and it's there's no specific agenda on every given day of like that you have to, you know, cover material or whatever it is, teach, so to speak, then you do have more flexibility and you can sometimes really allow students who are having a hard time to have that hard time and find a way for them to be able to express that in a, in a, in a way that is appropriate and, and let them maybe work through it. And if you're a program like that, that is awesome. And, and you, you know, giving them a chance to experience them letting out maybe feelings that they have that they don't know how to deal with or whatever. Sometimes that can be really helpful. You do have to be careful because you want to be trained in some kind of like therapeutic process. It's not always appropriate to do things that are therapeutic without training. So you have to be kind of careful um, depending on the ages and, and everything. So you, this is, these are things that if you're a staff person and you know, this sort of thing's happening, this is a good thing to talk about is where's the line, you know, and where's the line for your program? Where's the line that therapy guidelines or whatever would fall under that? Where, what are the parents' expectations with that? How is that communicated, et cetera? If you do that, you know, you're going to be on your way in a positive way because you just don't want to be doing things that are sort of therapeutic that parents don't know about or where you're leading them into stuff where they're starting to feel safe to let a lot of things go. And and then you're kind of going, uh oh, what do we do now? You know, because now all of a sudden you're in the woods, you're in the jungle of this person's emotions and you're not really quite sure how to navigate that. So as long as your your program director and your you know the parents and everybody is on board and understands what's going on 
then you're probably okay. You don't want to go rogue and just go, hey, I'm I'm a good-hearted person and I think nature is good for everybody. Let me just go with the flow in any direction and just figure it out. Because, uh, you know, the, the more you're doing like therapeutic type stuff, especially with minors, the more important communication is with everyone and documenting what hap- what's happening. So personally, if you really want to dive into deep emotional stuff, get training. That's my my best solution is go get training at some level of counseling or whatever so you can make it happen. The last thing I'm going to mention is that, and this is really key for this uh, this topic, is that if a number of students are struggling in some way and they're, they're having trouble, they're having trouble with each other, they're having trouble, sometimes your program may be trying to do too much and a lot of the students are stressing out. They're feeling anxiety. They don't want to show it to you. So now it's starting to come out sideways and they're starting to bicker. They're starting to get stressed. They're, you can usually hear it in their voices, in the way they're talking to each other. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're just, they're having a hard time. They might be having a hard time because of your program. I saw this a lot when we would have students come out and then we would have a challenge. We'd be like, okay, tonight we're going to be blindfolded and we're going to go out and make fires and do some challenge. And all of a sudden the whole group just changed and their, their body language changed, their voices changed because they were really scared that they were going to fail. And when you, when you introduce artificial anxiety type situations in there, that is a really important programming feedback that you really want to take into consideration. And especially if people are starting to act out so they can get out of it, that's a really good time to then go, hey, we better reassess what's going on here. Because if they're having that level of anxiety, maybe we can do a different challenge that maybe isn't quite as scary for them. Because there's good challenges and bad challenges, right? Like it's good to be on a, on a high robes course and be up there and like doing stuff if you feel like, hey, this is really scary, but I'm going to try to make it. It's another thing when you get up there and you're like, I'm 30 feet up. I've got a teenager down below that may or may not know how to hold on and belay me properly and, and save my life. And I'm petrified and I cannot move. I am literally frozen because if I feel like I move a muscle, I'm going to just lose it. That's like a fear that, you know, you need people who are really trained to help you move through that. And that can take a while. And maybe, maybe your, your, whatever that challenge is just a little bit further than, than many of your people are ready to to go through. So, so use, use your feedback when behavior is happening to try to connect. Like, like for example, if, if you do have students where their behavior is just getting a little back and forth, back and forth, arguing, whatever, I usually use that as a cue that we need to get to know each other. We get to know each other a lot better. So we need to know who these people are that we're sitting around at a deeper level. So how can we share some of our stories? How do we get to know who they are, not as who we see them initially? You know, you might see someone and go, oh, that person's really athletic. So they must be this alpha, awesome athlete. And they probably think they're better than everyone or whatever. Like, how do we break that down and and show that this person is just like me or you or anyone? We How do we all like reveal parts of ourselves and be vulnerable if we can? And And that oftentimes starts with us as, as the leaders is to say, hey, how can we be vulnerable? How can we share what it was like when we first went away to camp and we were really worried or whatever? So I do a lot of storytelling uh, with my group 
talking about my experiences, talking about being at the tracker school with a, a whole bunch of adults and trying to make sure I didn't look bad in front of, you know, these four Navy SEALs who are standing behind me and they're just like got their arms, their arms look like tree trunks and they're just look like they could take on any challenge whatsoever. And here I am just this little punk kid uh, running around the woods doing trail work and whatever and feeling completely not up to those standards. And, you know, when you are vulnerable in that way a little bit, I mean, don't get me wrong. You don't need to break down and talk about, you know, your relationship struggles or anything like that. But you're you're just sharing some of these stories that help them feel like, oh, okay, other people are also feeling this and it's okay to feel like that. And what are some ways that we work that out, add out? And so sometimes me talking about that and then asking other staff members to share something that maybe in a recent situation they felt vulnerable and then begin to um, hear those stories. And maybe that begins to include those teens. And then they start to see each other as real people with real fears and and real experiences and, and, you know, treating each other with kindness and, and so forth. It, it can be a magical opportunity that if you read those signs right, and they're able to then um, respond before that program, uh, before the, the behavior or the boundary pushing starts to happen. Uh, yeah, I'll, I guess I'm going to end with this one story. We had one group uh, this was like the third year, I think, that I was running programs. I'm going to end with this story. So this group was one of the hardest groups. It was it was probably, I think it was teenagers. They were all like 12, 13, or 13, 14, 15. But we had like two or three very young 13-year-olds. And then we had some 15-year-olds going on like, you know, 18. And I think there was about nine children. And me and the staff, and my, the, my staff and I basically <laughs> tried our best the entire time to get them to like each other, practice different skills, have a good summer and do that. And the camp was two weeks long, which is a long time. And this is, of course, this back in 1992, I think. So it was a it was really a trip. Uh, it was the most difficult. We worked as hard as we possibly could to help the students get along with each other and learn something and have a good time. And I would say we were maybe 50 or 40% successful. And there were just many, we had so many staff meetings talking about what could we do. We had so many meetings with the students, like having these like councils where we share our feelings and we try to work things out and we try to communicate like, hey, when you say that it makes everybody feel unsafe. We just went round and round and round and we would think we we're breaking through and then something would happen that just was like, oh no, all the progress, you know, it was like uh, rolling the, the, the guy rolled in the boulder up the hill, Sisyphus, I guess his name is in Greek mythology, where he's just rolling this boulder up and then it just rolls back down. You got to start over again. So that's what it felt like doing that program. And I, I think halfway through the program, we were all sitting around the fire. I think we were cooking or something like that. We're getting ready to cook dinner and... I noticed that one of the campers, this one, you know, he was 15, but he looked like he was 25. Like it looked like he was a world-class wrestler or something. He's a huge kid, really strong. And I went, hey, where's Mike? And all the staff, we went, I don't know. He went to the bathroom. He's been gone for a while. And we were like, okay. And I noticed that the other students were like looking at each other and then kind of looking down and pretending to carve or be chop up vegetables and they just suddenly were like oh yeah whatever like 
they were clearly having something. There was something going on. So I went up and I said, oh, okay, maybe he's at the outhouse. So we had an outhouse at that time. So I walked up there and there's a trail that going to the outhouse. Uh, there's a main trail and a trail going to the outhouse. And I walked up there and I could see that I could see his footprints going up the trail. And then I saw that he didn't go to the outhouse. He just kept going. And at this time, uh, you know, at that time that I was running that program, like I was a very, very good tracker, but I could see that he was heading down the trail uh, away from us. And I thought, huh, I don't think that if he was leaving to run away, I really don't think, I think that students would have said, hey, so-and-so ran away, you know, is he going to be okay? Are you going to go get him? Like, well, you know, somebody would say something. Well, no one said anything. <laughs> and and so I just watched that and I looked and I went, okay, I know what he did. And at this time, our camp was actually, at the end of that trail was another trail that connected to um, the Hawthorne Valley School and there was the Hawthorne Valley Farm store. There was a store there. And I thought, I bet he's going out to go get some kind of contraband or, or you know, something sugary or something. So, so I decided to go to the bridge and just sit by the bridge because that, that you had to cross a stream and then go to the bridge. And I thought, I'm just going to sit, you know, on a stump on the other side of the bridge at, where he can't see me. And then when he crosses the bridge, I'm going to, you know, kind of check in and see what's going on. So I told my other staff members, hey, looks like he just went down the trail, blah, blah, blah. So they were like, okay, good. Then I went and sat by the bridge. Sure enough, Mike comes down the trail and crosses the bridge. And then he sees me and he's like, oh, shoot. And I said, hey, so how's it going? What, what, I, I was kind of looking for you. What, what's, what's going on? And he goes, he immediately just went, came clean. And he went, we're all dying for sugar, man. He goes, I came down because I wanted to go to the farm store. Everybody gave me some money so I could buy ice cream for everybody and or candy. And that's what I was going to do. And I was coming right back. I thought that I could be fast enough and that you guys wouldn't know. And I said, oh, okay. I said, so what happened? And he goes, it's Sunday. The farm store's closed. And I knew that too. So I said, oh yeah. I said, yeah, man, unfortunately this did not work out in your favor. And I said, you know, you can just ask us if you want something else. We're making food all the time. We, we will help you out if you need to. And he was like, really? And I go, yeah. And so I came back and I think I had a stash of Oreos or something. I'm like, Hey guys, let's have Oreos. Mike's back. And I said, you just can't leave and not know because we're here to take care of you. And if, if you fell on that trail and you got hurt and you sprained your ankle and we didn't, you didn't come back for four hours, we would have to call the police. You know, if it, if you didn't come within an hour, we'd have to call the police and we'd have to start searching for you and your parents would be called and it would be mobilizing all kinds of volunteer. I said, it would be a big deal. So I said, it's not as simple as just sneaking away. There's actually a little bit of risk involved here. And that would then come back on me and, and my staff. And we really care about you. So it was really a nice moment. And for Mike and like two of the other students, I think they really had a breakthrough from that because they, they started to really open up to us as a staff after that. Um, that was good. But Sadly, their Mike's adventure to a closed farm store did not work out that well. And that was a that was a symbol for us because we did have a new cook and that cook was it was challenging for that person to just to make the meals, just to have burritos and chili and spaghetti and all the things they're making. They really weren't able to make other things for the students to 
sort of snack on. And teenagers eat a lot and they, they need in between meals and so forth. So that was a really good feedback loop for us to also then manage the discipline and also manage it and say, let's adjust our program so that they don't feel the need to have to go run out and get something. So anyway, I hope that this is something that uh, maybe you're going to take some good things away from. Uh, as always, please let me know if you have any thoughts about it or comments or anything to add. I'm always trying to learn myself. And yeah, again, thank you for everything you do to help get people outside and make this world a better place. So anyway, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.